Are you comfortable? I'm so comfortable. I love this chair. I, I want I the chair. I love that skirt. Like that. It's what is that? You like this chair? I like the chair. <laughs> the chair. <laughs> I like your skirt better than the you chair. You like my skirt? I mean, skirt? the furniture is from the '80s. It's I like. Oh, but that's what I love. It's part of the whole. Oh yeah. Well, it's club random. It's random. Mm-hmm. I mean, you couldn't find. I don't think. Maybe a set designer could find this somewhere. It's just, it's beyond ugly, but it is of the era. Not that I'm trying to do the 80s, because everything here is from some different, I mean, it's truly random. But um, you you remember this room when I had my, I remember you talking to Barbara Streisand right over there in the middle of the room. Was that that my 60th birthday party? Your 60th birthday. Right. I mean, that's before we made it into this, but... Yeah, that was a very eclectic group. I, but also, you know, how I haven't been here since the pandemic, and you've built sort of, it seems to have grown. Like there's a tree house, and there is the other guest there. house, but somehow it feels well, there's more, more structures. No, <laughs> I just lit them. <laughs> I mean, it took me a long time to get this place like, I mean, even this place, which is like a dirty little rat scholar, which is what I love about it. Um, it took me a while. You know, I've been I've been here 20 years. Can you believe that? I mean, and didn't you tell me that we know each other 30? 30. Because I did. And it's so amazing because Chuck and Chris, I've known them for 30 years. They were there when I did the first Politically Incorrect in New York. In 1993. Oh, Chuck and Craig, the producers of this yes. podcast. Yeah, and they were here, and and Chuck told me how. Remember when we were nominated for an Emmy for Strange Bedfellows that we did with Al Franken? I blocked out the Emmys, Ariana, okay, but, I'll, know, but I'll, I'll take I'll take your remember word for that. it. I don't know. I've been nominated for forty of them, I so know, they all I just kind of go into one. But uh, that was the only one I was nominated for. Right. So I, when you and Al Franken did Strange Bedfellows. Bedfellows yes. as part of Politically Incorrect right. in Bed Together. Right. And, um, and I said, Chuck reminded me that I said to him during one of the intermissions, I said, Chuck, I just really want to get out of here. And he said, great. He said, I'll drive you home. I said, really? So he drove me home and he and my mom and Agapi, my sister, sat down and had dinner. Really? <laughs> Um, instead of watching the rest of the Emmys. And my mom, do you remember my mom? Of course. She loved you. My mom loved you, and my daughters loved your girlfriends because they always felt that they were more their age. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they were. (laughs) Still are. um, And they talked to them instead of the older people who ignored them. I mean, that's been a long time since I brought girlfriends around to you. I mean, it's been a l- But it's been a long time. It's 30 years. You used to bring oh, girlfriends. I oh, I think... Actually, I hired one of them. Do you remember your science girlfriend? Oh, of course. So I, I hired... <laughs> I mean, of course. <laughs> she was amazing, gorgeous, brilliant. Mm-hmm. And I hired her to be a science editor at the Huffington Post. Yes. And you remember she launched oh. this series, which was, I think, your idea, Talk pro- Nerdy yes. to Me? I produced that. I... Yes. <laughs> so what happened? Talk Nerdy to me. Such a great franchise. Such a, yeah. Um, <laughs> we probably shouldn't <laughs> get into all this. Uh, you're right. Beautiful and brilliant and uh, absolutely uh, made to be a science communicator. 
I, I've always felt that, you know, I mean, she had not even thought of that career. <laughs> you know, I said, this is what you should be doing. And of course, she took to it like a duck to water because as she said, she was quite brilliant. So she could adapt anything very, very quickly. I remember we were going around to like meetings. Um, she was 25 at the time and, and, you know, so young and also no familiarity with show business, really. And yet after like the first two meetings, she was so hip to like what was going on. Like we get out of the meeting and she'd say, you know, that network probably needs something in their 8 p.m. slot that I'm like, whoa. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, but <laughs> look, <laughs> the girlfriend thing, you know, you always said, I mean, you were always the one saying I should get married. Yes. Have children. And I just feel like I'm at the point now where we know it's not going to happen. And so I can kind of like, I have a little high ground to say to you, people project onto other people what they think would make them happy, but it's really projecting based on what makes you happy. And, you know, you could have been right all those years. We were certainly remember my mother saying to you, Ariana, let it go. <laughs> I know. That was the moment when I realized, okay, maybe I do have to let it go. But my, my what I mostly wanted for you, because I loved it for me, you're right, because clearly marriage didn't work for me. And I got divorced after 11 years. Right. But, so who wins this game? But what, what, what? <laughs> worked for me despite all the pain that came with it was having children. I remember after a dinner taking you, I said, Bill, you got to come and see my children asleep. You'll see how adorable they are. And you, I took you to their bedrooms and you said to me, oh my God, they look like drunken sailors. With their- <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Um, <clears throat> so I failed completely both on the wife front and the children. children front. I didn't like children when I was a children. You know, I just, so it's like, I just feel like people project that very forcefully. Like you have to fit into this template of what makes people happy. And I just feel like now that I'm, uh, you know, 45, (laughs) (laughs) uh, I can look back and say to you. uh, You were right and I was wrong. I don't want to put it that brusquely, (laughs) but I know me, people know themselves and you know, no matter how much you want them to be happy from the things that make you happy, that's not what makes me <laughs> me happy. And of all people, I feel like you should know that because you're seen as sort of like this, um, you know, what do you call it? The chameleon. You know, you, we first knew you as this Republican Mac, Lady Macbeth. <laughs> Speaking of the bad. I don't know why Lady Macbeth, because I was because this you were kind the, of, but I was this kind of old-fashioned Republican who was a pro-choice Republican pro-gay rights and pro-gun control. I no, mean, look, where look, are these Republicans now? Lady Macbeth in the sense of, lady I don't know what Lady Macbeth's politics were, I'm, <laughs> but Lady Macbeth was the woman behind the man. Mm-hmm. You were seen as the woman behind Michael Huffington, the brains of him. He was this guy who was going to had money, so he was going to run for Senate in California. What is this, 1994? Is that the year yeah. he ran? Okay, so that's 93, right. when yeah. I first did Politically Incorrect, he was yeah. a congressman in Washington. A congressman, oh, right. And I remember I, I flew from Washington to New York to do the show. 94, he ran for Senate against Feinstein. And it seems unbelievable now that although he lost, he lost by a tiny percentage, like 
one and a half percent or something, which seems incredible now when nobody can unseat Feinstein, even though she's... So he ran against Feinstein? Yeah. Who's still there? Well, oh. he first ran for the Republican primary, won the Republican primary. No, she's still there. And then ran against Feinstein, who is still here. Right, there. I'm saying. She's, and yeah. now people are, even though she still hasn't said she won't run again. <laughs> I think she did, but then she forgot. Not really, yeah. I mean... Whenever that ageism issue comes up, of course, it's uh, one of my pet peeves. But I always do make the point that it's a case by case. So if I'm defending somebody for the charge of ageism, I make that case. But I also, I think, would like to think anyway that I gain credibility by also seeding that case by case. There are people who do fucking get old. (laughs) And it shows. It's just not Joe Biden right now. Maybe it will. Maybe but not 80, yet. We're projecting on that. Maybe 86. How could he do it? He'll be 86 by his second term. You know, people. there are people 86 who are completely there. Completely. And can do everything. And even 96. So we're, we're playing the... We're basing an individual on the, the odds, basically, and how other people treat themselves. I don't know. I just saw him walking back from Ukraine and... Poland, and he's he's very slender. You know, I mean, he was always sort of gaffy, and I just, I don't know. So, but Dianne Feinstein, yes, is definitely that case. It's a case of get off the stage because, yes, your marbles are somewhat scrambled. No, it is, you're right, it is case by case. I mean, I saw Norman Lear the other day. He's actually a 100. And it's kind of amazing, um, his yeah. mental clarity. I mean, yeah, his, I hear, to, yeah. his hearing is not what it was, but for a hundred? <laughs> <laughs> it's just... Yeah, a- I, was, I was at dinner with him at Rob Reiner's only like a couple of years ago, and I don't even remember a hearing problem. It just was like another person at the table. There was no... I, I forgot his age... You know, I knew it, but, you know, because of the way he's, it's, it's about like the energy you project. The, and he, you know, he does not project an old energy and it's not a dodderingness. It's not a faultingness. Um, you know, he doesn't forget things. I do, but it's the pot. It's not the age. <laughs> I promise. <laughs> but, you know, I, because I, I come from Greece, as you know, this accent no. is Korea. You, yes, I, I, I come from Greece. I was wondering what that funny talk of yours was all these years. Why does she talk so funny? Oh, my God. You think you know a person, and after 30 years, Greece. Greece. So oh, in Greece, you home know. Home of democracy. Actually, in Greece and yogurt. In Greece, you know, they revere <laughs> old people. You know that. Most in, of the world does. Yeah, either Japan, Greece, oh, India, El- a- India, a- 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 lot anywhere, of the world. But anywhere but stupid America, South America, everywhere. Indians, everybody reveres old people because they get the most like intuitive thing to understand about life is that, yes, you're beautiful when you're young and you're wise when you're old. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, there are variations in that. There are ugly young people and there are stupid <laughs> old people. And sometimes they're combined in a person and you don't want anything to do with that person. But... In general, we get it that even if you're dumb when you're young, you, you, you just see the same patterns enough. That's what aging is. You've seen this movie before. Mm-hmm. So you don't walk down a completely dark corridor. You're actually walking some, with some light 
helping you along the way. And so you make better decisions. But you also it's know obvious. what doesn't matter. That you know, too. That's like, a decision. I think it's like you are, that's I mean, I'm, I'm 72 now. No. And, and from I, Greece. And from Greece. You know, you're finding out things about me. <laughs> um, and I, and during the pandemic, you know, I was sheltering in place in my yeah. home here. And I went through the garage where I found all these old journals. Mm. And it was amazing seeing all my fears and worries as a young person. Right. And thinking all these fears and worries for things that largely never happened. Exactly. <laughs> and it's and now there's this liberation that you don't have to look over your shoulder for approval. You are not constantly trying to make something happen. It's it's actually I wouldn't want to be 30 again. I wouldn't. I say the same thing. If I, I would if I had this brain in my body. But you but can't. If I had, I know. But if I had to go back to the old brain, no, it would cause too much pain. And, and you had a lot of things to worry about when you were young. I mean, you were a poor black girl. <laughs> no, that's wrong. I'm sorry. I'm reading from notes. Uh, <laughs> wrong guess. I'm kidding. The idea that I would have notes on this show. I didn't even have notes on real time, let alone this fucking thing. But um, but you were poor, right? I was brought up, yes, in a one-bedroom apartment in Athens, Greece. Really? With my mother and sister. So in this capital. So you were not, a, you were not that's why you're sophisticated, because you weren't out in a farm somewhere with a goat. No, I was in Athens. <laughs> well, no, the best thing that happened to me in my life is my mom because she, um, when I saw a picture of a magazine that had Cambridge University on the cover, something made me say to her, I want to go there. Oh, right. And everybody I said that to said, don't be ridiculous. That is amazing. You don't speak English. Right. <laughs> you don't have money, and it's hard for English girls to get into Cambridge. And now you've got one out of those two. <laughs> <laughs> You're rich as fuck now. <laughs> and so my mom said, let's find out what you can do. And I took my GCs at the British <laughs> Council. And I, anyway, I got into So how Cambridge. did you learn English? I bet you're watching rap videos. Oh no, those are my I girlfriends. Just, like, <laughs> I was I was a nerd. I was um, what they call in England the blue stocking. I just studied and studied and studied, and I learned English. But when I went into Cambridge, I was ridiculed. You mean by yourself? They didn't well, teach you. No, no, school? I had no at school, but I went to the British Council. I took special oh. classes. But they did teach English in the Greek schools. No, they taught French. So, so you had to learn English on your French own. French is my first language, oh, and really? I have a very good French accent, better than English accent. <laughs> I never, I honestly never knew you spoke French. Yes. Wow. You speak French. Or maybe I did and I forgot. I blame the pot. <laughs> but I probably did know that. Well, so, yeah, right. And, and uh, I'm trying to think of whose story yours parallels. I mean, I'm sure there's a list of people who, like, started with so little, with every odd against them, and still made it all the way to where they were thinking of going, and then beyond. I don't think you thought you'd be this rich, right? Well, I definitely didn't think that I would be running a media company like the Huffington Post. I wouldn't think I would be blogging when I was in Greece, or that I would be leaving the Huffington Post to launch Thrive, which I think, you know, it's like dealing with one of the coolest challenges. How do we help people change behavior so that they are healthier and uh, live longer and better? No, I, I definitely did not think. Well, of I know these one things. way: accepting them. What they say makes them happy. 
okay. See, okay. I, 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 I lost I'm, that one. I, <laughs> this is a, this is one of my biggest failures because I did try. But listen, you. I should write a uh, Thrive piece. Yes. On that subject. Great. Would that make you happy? Yes. But can it I get? Make me would that be do a you remember? Birth, good birthday present yes. for you. Yes. Do you remember that your birthday presents to me used to be to write a blog for the Huffington yes. Post? Right. I do. You said, happy birthday, here's your blog. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, so the, the era when a blog was a gift. Oh, boy. It was a gift, a blog and a blurb. You've blurbed every book I wrote since yes. in the last 30 years, and it's a lot of them. I, Don't worry, I stopped <laughs> writing books. <laughs> You're off the hook. Really? Yeah. You'll never write another book? I'm done. Uh, you know what? I came to the same conclusion. You not did. that I Not that I wrote a lot of books. You did. You I wrote... wrote one real novel, uh, which is still very funny. I, I still think it's a good piece of work, although it's, I was 32 when I finished it. I would do things differently, I think. But, okay, a few things. But it's I have occasion to go back and read it for one reason or other. There are parts of it sometimes, and it really... It still makes me laugh because, like, I forget what I wrote, and so I, then I'm laughing at it like a fan. <laughs> so I, I think I really did a good job on that. And then I wrote one after 9-11, that picture book that was going, I had a Broadway show. It's about the World War II posters mm -hmm. transposed to the War on Terror. Yeah, that, I mean, that kind of worked, too. But those are really, then there was two books that are like new rules, but that was yes. just material from the show. So I'm not a, you know, I was never a big lover of putting out a book but especially now when reading is just such a lost art, I just feel like so much effort goes into putting out a book, selling it, and I mean a novel, not that I would write another novel, but that would be what would be fun for me to write. Like if, if a novel sells 50,000 copies, it's, it's a huge, huge success. hit. 50,000 in a country of 300 million people, well, children. Well, if you look at the English-speaking world, it's even more millions. Right. I mean, people, but especially in America, and I'm, I guess it's the world now, but people don't read. They scroll. They and scroll. Well, our attention yeah, has, it's like, has been hijacked. I mean, you know, you and I agree of, on the impact of social media oh. and technology and what's happened to our attention span, which is now it's shorter almost, than that of the goldfish. Did you know that? It, what's this? Our attention span is shorter than that of the goldfish. I'm sorry, I wasn't listening. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, well, how do, how do they measure this? Oh, my what, God, like, very clearly, is, very scientifically. <laughs> I, I know they can do it with us, but how do they get it from the okay, goldfish? Okay, here's another stat that I think you're going to like more. This was a study by Harvard and the University of Virginia. They put people into a room and they told them for 15 minutes, you can be here alone without any of your devices or you can get electric shock. <laughs> and yeah, 67% I heard this. of men chose electric shock. Men? Men, 25% of women. The wiser sex. I love when the weather starts to warm up. It's one of my favorite parts of spring, and Sunday lawn care makes it easier than ever to enjoy. It's time to reclaim your weekend. Sunday lawn care can take one thing off your to-do list. Instead of spending time working on your yard with Sunday lawn care, you can spend time enjoying it. 
One of my favorite things to do is walk in my garden and recreate the Brando heart attack scene from The Godfather, but no matter what you like to do outside this spring, Sunday is everything you need to get the lawn you've dreamed of. Get sunday.com slash random and enter your address to get a customized plan created just for your lawn. No trips to the store or hauling heavy bags since they ship straight to your home. You just need a hose to apply. Sunday. You can fertilize your whole lawn in less time than it takes to listen to an episode of Club Random. And they only use ingredients you can feel good about. No harsh chemicals, no long waiting periods, or trying to keep your kids and pets off the lawn. Simply apply. Let it dry, and you're back to enjoying your garden. Sunday is easy and affordable. Some lawn care services cost more than $1,500 a year, but Sunday's full-season plans start at just $109. And Sunday is offering our listeners 20% off. Full season plans start at just $109. And you can get 20% off when you visit GetSunday.com slash random at checkout. That's 20% off your custom plan at GetSunday.com slash random. Did you know HBO Max had podcasts? I'm on my podcast talking about the podcasts on my network. (laughs) Is this what Zuckerberg means by meta? Now go even deeper inside your favorite shows with audio companions to some of the most groundbreaking and award-winning shows on television. The Last of Us is an original series from HBO based on the critically acclaimed video game of the same name. And every week you can join Troy Baker, who plays Joel in the video game, as he breaks down episodes of the TV series with showrunners Craig Mazin and Neil Druckmann. Together they dive into key moments from the series and video game and reveal behind the scenes from the making of the series with stars Pedro Pascal, Bella Ramsey, and more. Stream The Last of Us on HBO Max and check out HBO's The Last of Us podcast on HBO Max and wherever you get your podcasts. I mean, look, it's it's almost come full circle because you, I think, first came on to talk about the dangers of Prozac. Yes, that was the first show. Right. That's what brought you to her. You you were like a one-issue candidate on Prozac. Did you have a book on that? No. Okay, but... And you were right. And now it's social media. It's probably yes. Prozac too. <laughs> but like things didn't get better. They got worse for kids as far as like poison things in their mind. Because again, I don't think that the Prozac went away. I just think it's augmented with more things that fuck up their heads. Absolutely. And, I, and it's gotten worse and worse since my, my daughters were teenagers and they dealt with a lot oh, of... Yes. They dealt with a lot of problems, but <laughs> now it would have been worse because it's the comparisons, the likes, oh, the... likes. That's an evil thing because the way it's used. I mean, it's funny. I did this editorial on Valentine's Day about how the phone brought out, and, and like dating on the phone, brought out the worst in men because how could it not? You know, if you said to a man before this era... You could have a thing in your hand where you never have to go up to a girl <laughs> and there's an endless supply. You can look over and it's a numbers game. You you try to connect with 20 of them and two of them are going to say hello. I mean, we used to do that in a bar or try to. So it brought out the worst in men, being lazy and horny and not sincere. But it brought out the mean girl. That yeah. fucking phone mm-hmm. in girls. 
One of our first issues on Politically Incorrect was called Girls Hate Each Other. You're not supposed to say that, but they do. Not like... I don't think they hate each other, well, but when they, they compete. First, they com- well, which winds up as hate? Well, I mean, you can when, compete like with If a guy walks it. in the room, I don't notice. Whereas a, if another woman walks in the room, it's like, who's she? Who's she thinking? <laughs> 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 oh, she thinks that's, that's a great outfit. You know, I mean, like there's this immediate hate is... You know, we're making comedy here. So do all women hate each other? Of course not. But there is an immediate suspicion and wariness very often among women that just men are just, we're just oblivious. Like it's a guy who cares. I'm, I don't want to fuck him. <laughs> so I don't want to know him. I got friends. It's like, I don't know. It's just a guy. We don't, he's, not, he's of no relevance to me at all. You know, that's how guys think. Well, I don't think that's all. That's how all guys think. I think that's how you think because you're successful, you have gotten wherever you wanted to go. So when if if no. men are on the make, no. they're more competitive. If I see a guy, if when I was twenty, if I saw a guy, <laughs> and I don't know who he is, I'm not trying to know who he is. He's nothing to me. I'm not jealous of him. I'm not, there's no competition. Just like, get out of the way. You're blocking that girl I'm trying to look at. You know what I mean? That's all it is. But I feel like with women, there is an immediate noticing and sizing up and, you know, is, is she going to take But hugely, tra- mag- hugely magnified by social media. And everything ma- makes yes. everything worse. Yes, much, much worse. It, they really... I mean, this girl who killed herself in New Jersey a couple of weeks ago, so tragic. And look, I think in general, parents do a shit job these days of instilling in their kids a sense of, you need to be made of sterner stuff. You know, just in general, that general note. Yes. That's never what they teach kids. It's just like, you know, how can we bulldoze, they call them bulldozer parents, you know, how can we bulldoze all obstacles, all obstacles away from you before you get there? And, you know, but I agree that this social media stuff can drive, I can see how it could have driven me to suicide. Because at least in school, if you were bullied, you go home and you can shut that off. Yes. Here you get no break. The phone follows you everywhere and it follows you forever in life something you did in eighth grade. You know, I remember when I was going off to college thinking, this is awesome. I can reinvent myself. Nobody knows me in Ithaca, New York. I am completely new to Cornell. Blank slate. I can be exactly a blank slate. I can be who I, I can be James Bond now. <laughs> and there was one kid from my high school class who was also going to Cornell. So I had to kill him. <laughs> After I did that... <laughs> I just felt like this, and of course it was so stupid. Like in two months I became James Bond. No, I was the same fucking clueless loser dork I was in high school, inept with women and just, you know, just young and dumb. And uh, Cornell soon found the same person that I was in high school. But with, with the phone following you, you know, anything you tweeted, and they'll go, they'll go back to eighth grade to get people. They, they, they are, ugh. Well, that's something that they we have just, to change. I think it's changing a little. You know, the idea that um, we are going to be judged by the worst thing in our lives. Yes. Um, especially 
this whole idea of the content collapse, that it doesn't matter what else you've done, you're going to be judged by this, as though this was the first thing you've done on the subject. Right. I mean, (laughs) that for me is the worst. It's it's actually fundamentally against everything that civilization is about, which is progressing, Mm -hmm. growing, becoming better. Right. You know, yes. it's like the idea now is that there is this kind of frozen ideal, arrested development. Yes. And it's it's something which I know you've no, said so much against, but right now um, there is a moment when things can shift. I'm optimistic about it. That, But we, we can't just let it continue. Well, I hope you're right, but what the, the, the demarcation between when it went bad to... <laughs> from the frying man to the fire is Jonathan Haidt says 2015. That's the beginning of Gen Z. It's it's maybe even a little before that, but it's it's also Trump announcing for president drove people insane for good reason. But um, around then, you know, there was a whole generation that only ever had the phone. The, the smartphone comes out, I think, in 2009. Mm-hmm. Okay. So by 2015, you know, if you're a 14-year-old, you, you have a phone. You've never really known adolescence without this element in it. And we thought Gen Z was going to be a backlash against the millennials. But it turned out they just did it even more. I mean, the fragility, the oversensitivity, the insanity just got crazy. The millennials seem sane, I guess, like all generations do as you get older, like they get wiser and people get nuttier. And I mean, it's Gen Z. These are the, and they feud now with the millennials, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Every generation does this, except Gen X. Nobody ever fights with Gen X. What's up with that? Why do they get such a complete pass? You know? But I think there's kind of a lack of sense of history. Oh. And uh, if you think of it, I mean, you and I have different views on spirituality. But if you, on spirituality. Okay, here it is. I'm bringing it up. I know. First wives and children, then spirituality. Well, just tell, uh, here, I'll I'll, I'll go along with anything if you could just define it. And I know you've written whole books about it. I read The Fourth Instinct. I know, which is amazing. I think only another three people have read it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but, you know, it was a long okay, time ago. Okay, the fourth thing. Let's I, define I, I, it. Let's define it for a minute. So, most behavioral psychologists and sociologists, etc., talk about three instincts, right? Survival, right. sex, and status, slash power, etc. And if you can't really fully account for human behavior historically, you can't account for Gentiles risking their lives to save Jews. You can't account for acts of altruism. You can't account for acts of love and empathy without what I call the fourth instinct. I didn't even want to call it the spiritual instinct. I see. You know, I just want to say there is an instinct that that transcends our first three instincts, which are all about ourselves and Now it's coming back to me. That's it. So (laughs) I deliberately didn't 
Call right. it spiritual right. instinct. Because it doesn't matter what the hell you call it. But then why do we use that word? Because it doesn't when matter. I... The point is that I wanted to reach people like you, which I failed to do, but I wanted to reach <laughs> intelligent people no. who turned against organized religion, which I... completely understand, and threw the baby out with the bathwater. I, I totally uh, could get on this page. <laughs> It's just, wow. and I think I'm already, no, I think I'm already there in the sense that I also believe there is something past those first three. Yes. You know, humans do cooperate. Um, now, you can make the case that they're doing that for survival. I've heard that, that people have studied that and come up with that conclusion. It, it actually helps us sur- to survive, of course, and we, and we know it often does, to cooperate. And that's what... You know, I mean, that's what that book *Sapiens* is so great about right. explaining is that, you know, chimps can only cooperate up to like eighty of them because they don't have basically lies, lies and myths, and when you and get stories. when you get stories and when you so you can get you know Catholicism, you can get a billion people to believe the same story, you can get them to do anything like attack Jerusalem and take it away from the invaders, <laughs> you know, stuff like that that you couldn't get chimps to do. Which I think says a lot about for the chimps. Let's just talk about how, what is at the heart of every uh, tradition that is like, uh, didn't become organized religion, but it's just like a, a fundamental tradition around redemption and forgiveness and things that if we can recover them, it's going to be much easier to get away from this insane cancel culture, you know, you did something when you were 18, therefore <laughs> you are forever yes. a pariah to be ostracized. But at the heart of every tradition, whether it's Zen or Buddhism or um, the esoteric Christian traditions or Taoism or anything, is the same belief that we all have this place of strength, wisdom in us, and that most of the time we don't live there because we're very fallible human beings. Most of us have strength and wisdom. Inside us as a birthright, we don't tap into it and we don't live from that place, but we have access to that place. But the, in order to get I'm there... I'm not sure everybody has strength and wisdom. I got to say, us. and no insult to anybody in particular, <laughs> but I just think there's a lot of people out there who don't have a hell of a lot of strength and that's probably most of us, because if you put us under, you know, pressure, you know, you know, the plane that crashed and then they ate each other, you know. The, but also, okay, <laughs> you, there are plenty of examples know. like that, but there are also plenty of examples where um, something really bad happens and people come up, you know, when they say it brought the best out in them. Yes. Um, yes, something, absolutely. Something comes out that you know. Oh, my God, I can't believe this Absolute, person is acting yes, like that. Exactly. People so that's can what be, I mean. There is absolutely in humans the capacity to be heroic. And to and to actually exceed yes. anything we'd ever seen right. about from them before. I just but don't also, think it's all of us. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. <laughs> it's like, it's just, it's not across the board. And neither is wisdom. I but mean, wisdom, on. okay, if you think of wisdom in terms of the possibility for redemption, like that's what I think connects us to the, this moment. Like, let's look at people and whatever wrongdoing they did. I mean, can we give them the chance to redeem themselves? Once they accept and acknowledge the wrongdoing, uh, atone for it. But if we 
if we foreclose the possibility of redemption and growth, uh, you're, then you're, we're, we're really for you're basically giving up and, on our humanity. Right. So this is one of my big I know. gripes. And you've with, done an with, amazing with, job with, with that. No, I love it. I can't tell you how happy it makes me to hear you like pile on the woke bullshit, which this is, as you are. And if you don't know that's what you're doing, you are. Yeah, but I want to do it from also a place of, of our fundamental humanity. If we give that up, we give up our humanity. Yeah, we're not the ones being inhumane. It's these mean girls. <laughs> it's the mean girls. It's a mean girl culture. And they, you know, and what is so galling so much is like, you know, they, they, they want to think of themselves as warriors, social justice warriors, and they're just fucking sitting home typing. They're not really doing anything. And really, it's not about making any lives better, black lives or whatever lives. They don't really do anything that does that. They just want to catch people who they that's can feel really, morally superior to. Well, that's really the thing. It's the, it's we gross. only have so much energy. And if that energy is spent judging and, um, and finding fault with everything, yeah. canceling and ostracizing... What's happening to all the incredible crisis we're facing? And you know, that reminds me, do you remember in 2000, I organized the Shadow Convention? I was there in Philadelphia. No, oh. you, and, and in Los Angeles. Wasn't it You spoke here. Yeah, yeah. I, I had one in Philadelphia right. for the Republican, during the Republican no. Convention, one in Los Angeles. And the three issues that the shadow conventions were yes, designed idea. to address that neither political party we believe right. was really addressing. Remember what they were? They were the failed war on drugs. Right. Um, that was my specialty, what yeah, I was speaking special. on. No, but you didn't speak <laughs> on that. You spoke on the second, which was campaign finance reform. Oh, yeah. And the third was growing inequalities. And where are we? Campaign finance reform, nobody's even no, thinking it's about even it. It's docket. not even no, on the no, radar. Just, just got killed. Growing inequalities have gotten infinitely worse. Well, and mostly because of you. <laughs> no, mostly because of you. <laughs> oh, please, if I had your money, I'd throw mine away. Mostly because of you flying oh, on private planes. Oh, did you see that? That was. I didn't put your picture in that montage, but I could have because... That was my point. I'm not. I can, I can stand being a bad environmentalist because we all really are. I cannot stand being a hypocrite. Mm -hmm. And every single person who can fly in a private jet, including you, including George Clooney, and everybody else who's a good Leonardo DiCaprio, everybody, and I'm big admirer of a lot of these people. Ben Affleck, I love these people. But we all do it. It's irresistible, and so that's again something that looks bad to someone who's in the middle or leaning right, when lefties are fucking hypocrites. So I just really wanted to make that case. Yeah. And you know, and we all do it on, it on whatever our level is. I mean, if you drive a car to work, but you could take the bus, you're just doing it on a budget. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing it like a baller. Eat that, bitches. No, you know, I know. It's so, so are you still you're not, Are you driving a Tesla? Yeah. I loved what you did about uh, the people who are giving up driving a Tesla, and you had this picture oh, of, <laughs> of Hitler with, Hitler the with a Volkswagen. <laughs> yeah, I know Elon liked that. Well, of course, but 
But, you know, I mean, listen, Elon is a genius, but he doesn't understand how human energy works. What do you mean? Which is kind of on my topic of how can we be our most productive selves. If you sleep in the office on a beanbag, you're not going to be your most productive, creative self the next day. Again, I think you're projecting a little. No. I really do. Because, like, people, it. Well, it's science that you get the right amount of sleep. That's yeah. science. But there's also variations in the human. Yes. Some great variations. Um, not often. Mostly we do One and a half percent of the population has yeah. a genetic mutation, and they don't need a lot of sleep. Okay. Uh, Elon may That's be one of them. Elon may All be right. one of them. But the problem then maybe is... maybe the beanbag chair brings him back to his fine. childhood, and he sleeps like a baby. In okay, it. perfect. But he's also <laughs> expecting his employees to do that. And not all of them have a genetic mutation. I don't think he's expecting them to go that far. He's well, expecting, he's expecting them to commit them to be quote unquote hardcore. Look, if we're talking about Elon Musk and Twitter, like this, I'm gonna like him. I, I don't care who fucking knows. No, I like him and, too. Yeah, I'm sure. And um, there's two things we disagree on. Going to Mars, I think, is incredibly stupid, and it's been great comedy fodder for me. And also his idea that uh, we need to increase the population seems just completely insane. But, you know, people can disagree. And someday I'll talk to him about those things and he'll tell me his side of the story. But, you know, um, anyway. But on Twitter, I think he is doing a very selfless thing. I think he is doing basically kind of what what Edward Snowden did, because he surely didn't need this headache. But if you're going to kill wokeness, I'm talking about the side of wokeness that is obnoxious and probably could take down the entire Democratic Party. If you're going to drive a stake through that, the shit we were just talking mm-hmm. about, the heart of it is Twitter. You got to he- cut, you got to, that was, that is the place no, where all the canceling and he- the hating is. Rampant. But look at what he did. He, okay, but I'm he, just saying he that... Removed I, from just Twitter, he just, removed from Twitter journalists who disagreed okay. with him. Sec- secondary point. My point, the, the view from 30,000 feet point is that Twitter needed to be taken over. It wasn't going to go away. And it was this. it's this thing that people use for hate. I mean, I remember when it was first out. I loved it because it was a place you could be irreverent. And then it quickly became... Anything I'd want to say on Twitter, I can't say on Twitter. That was a terrible place for a free speech platform to go, and it's a terrible place for a country that supposedly believes in free speech to be. He wasn't wrong that it's a kind of a town square. you got to be able to speak in the town square. So has he done it right? No, in many ways. Yes, he did not stick the landing, and he's going to make fuck-ups along the way, and... Yeah, I mean, if you want to go through that chapter and verse, it bores me. And I just think he hasn't done so much horrible uh, that I don't think he can He can pull this thing out and make Twitter something completely different. And it hasn't gone away. I remember when he first took over, it was like, oh, Twitter's going to fold, fold. <laughs> it's, it's fine. It's He's right. It's like people, there's not going to be a, it just is a a, a kind of a, establishment thing now. But if the whole point is free speech and then you um, basically punish Barry Weiss because she disagreed with him, it's not not like an esoteric little point I'm making. It's kind of, (laughs) it's fundamental to what he claimed to be doing with Twitter. 
Yeah. Anyway, yeah. actually, I mean, speaking he's, of being... He's, he's, absolutely. He has, he has stumbled along the way and sometimes been his own worst enemy. But I don't feel like it ever comes out of a place of terrible maliciousness. He's an impulsive... No, I'm not geni- saying at all. He's an impulsive, genius kind of guy. You know, it's it's not going to, you know, love travels on a gravel road. <laughs> speaking <laughs> of which. Yes, speaking of which. You mentioned before your your marriage. And I want, I remember one time you saying to me, like, I don't know, when did, when were you divorced? Oh my God, what I year? remember so well. I divorced in 1997. Okay. And I was, uh, I moved from Washington to L.A. for my divorce, the, my home that you've been to many times. <laughs> the furniture that I've The christened. furniture that you've christened. <laughs> and I, the, the day my divorce became final, I literally got the news and went to do Politically Incorrect. Wow. That day, I mean, surrounded by boxes and things that hadn't been unpacked. And then... The next month, we I had a thanks, Thanksgiving at home, and you came. And you went to the children's table, <laughs> and you sat down, and you said to my eight- and six-year-old, said, so, okay, are you ready now for your mom to start dating? <laughs> I did. <laughs> well, you know, you can't, uh, you can't shield the kids too much. That's my point. You but, wanted them to be resilient. <laughs> uh, what did they say? They cried. <laughs> you made my children cry. Oh, I'm sorry, but they came out better for it, didn't they? But I remember you saying to me, uh, I asked you, like, you were must have been right around this time, could have been that day. Uh, like, are you, like, really broken up and emotional? Are you a wreck? And you said to me, no, the hard part is the two years before this yes. when you're trying to make it work. Yes. And I just thought, wow, yeah. That is, you remember that? Yes. And I remember just thinking, wow, that is exactly why I never did that. Mm. And for some people, it's 10 years. For some people, people it's it's 20 years. Forever. (laughs) Yeah. Because it's a codependence and they can't break it. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, I I know what it's like to be that way with someone where you're, you're not happy, but you know you're like in this exquisite pain if you break up. Or if you're apart and you're trying to get them back, it's like the worst place to be. I've found psychologically in life. I mean, I've had physical pain. Among the mental pains, this is that's there's no pain like desperately wanting another person. And it's not like anything else in life because it's it has a choice. <laughs> and when you if you turn a woman off, like there's a key in the back. If you if it goes, it's like a pilot light. If the pilot light goes off, you can't relight it. I mean, you can get them back from some shit you do, and then sometimes you just turn the key all the way, and the pilot light goes out, and you can't. And you kind of know that. And like like we were saying about, I would never go back to thirty just just to avoid that mm-hmm. kind of thing. That's the kind of thing that happens at around thirty. But then you also began to be much more self-aware. Remember you telling me uh, many times that there is nothing left in the bottle. No, no. You almost got it right. No, you said there is a little bit left in the bottle. No, no, no. Okay. How is it? it It's, there's, when you meet somebody, the the, um, (laughs) sex god in heaven or Mount Olympus, (laughs) 
<laughs> wherever the sex god sex is, goddess. knows there are, there are a certain number of fucks in that can. Yes. It might be 5,000. It might be five. Uh, I don't know if it's ever going to be unlimited, but, you know, if you spread it out enough, it could be. And that's the point. It's how you spread it out. If there's 5,000, it could last forever. But at a certain point... There's nothing left in the bottle. <laughs> you're hitting the bottom of that can. Come on. I know there's one more in there. Come on. <laughs> that's what... And I stand by that. I don't think I was wrong about that one. But you know what is great? I don't think you've, you hold any bitterness towards anyone you've been with. Am nor, I right? Nor, nor, no, I'm, I'm bitter uh, at myself for a couple because, like, I, like, why did I enter into that relationship? Wasn't very wise of me <laughs> kind of thing. Um, but not at them. Um, I, I, I don't attract bad people like women. I always wanted to. You know, I always wanted to attract the bad girl, you know, the slutty one who'd be easy and fuck me right away. That, I, no, that's not who I attracted basically nice people. I guess opposites attract, you see. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I never, that was not really a thing. But, um, but I think, you know, it's so amazing if you think of it. Not to be carrying bitterness and resentment. So many people. Or even, have... or, and I don't really, I don't think a lot of people are resentful of me either. I mean, I, I'm pretty yeah. good friends with all my exes. And um... but that is such a gift. I mean, especially if you look at the science of health, um, resentment and bitterness, and not being able to forgive. Right. You know, they affect your immune system. Right. They yes. uh, increase your stress levels. Of course. They, I mean, there's a new study that came out that if, you're, if you are incapable of forgiving, it increases your cholesterol levels. I mean, this connection, I'm fascinated by. Well, cholesterol is not a bad thing. You no. need cholesterol to live, so I don't... Well, it's good for your brain. Oh, it's good for... I mean, it's, it's basically the, what the body repairs itself with. You need cholesterol. Yes, and your brain. It's just a question Obviously of... Obviously, too much, but it's like... If you have a lot of inflammation, that's what I mean. Right, I mean, inflammation. These, right. these emotions create inflammation. Yes. Well, there's something, sister, we definitely are yeah. completely on the same... The three fates. The same... The three fates yes. of your health. Sugar, oh. sleep... Stress. stress. Yeah, it's the first thing I said to, uh, and on uh, the first show, the last show before we all went inside in 2020, March of 2020. The first, the last show we did was March 13th. After that, uh, we, we were no show, and then we did it from here. Yes. Oh Christ! <sighs> and uh, I remember I said we had a doctor on, and I said, and I didn't think she really was great on the subject, and I said. Everybody will be okay if you just take mind the three S's. Yes. Sleep, stress, sugar. And, of course, no one listened to me, as no one ever does. <laughs> and the people who were lauded as the great leaders uh, of our medical establishment during the pandemic, they would they never said something like that. I never but heard Dr. Fauci say something about sugar or sleep. Or maybe you shouldn't be putting on weight during a pandemic which kills overwhelmingly obese people. But this is an ongoing issue. It's not an issue that ends with a pandemic because sugar, stress, and sleep deprivation affect every disease. 
they affect cancer. They affect like, absolutely. Uh, obviously diabetes yes. and but they affect every yes. disease. And and here's what what I love about the work I'm doing now is that with micro steps you can begin changing things. You know, it doesn't have to be big New of Year course. resolutions, I'm going to give up sugar forever immediately. Right or sleep for eight hours. It's just like, what are the little micro steps you can do every day that become healthier habits? And, and right. we've seen amazing success with people when they start on the journey. And that's why I'm, I'm such an evangelist about that. Well, I'd like to masturbate more. Can you, can you, is there a, 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 micro, a micro step, for that? step program I, think, I can I get on? I, I, that I would, really uh, think you're an expert. I enjoy it. I feel it relaxes me. And yet sometimes I get to the end of the day and I've and only done it three or four times. And I, You're not prioritizing. I'm not prioritizing. I think the other thing is that you can habit stack. Maybe there is a habit you have. <laughs> you can, we, all, we all need a hobby. You can habit stack that. You so, know. okay. So, um, but you know, I always wondered about that divorce because, like, I mean, he's gay, right? And he we, came out as gay. Came out after, as gay. Yes. And I'm I'm fascinated by the <laughs> the and it's a common well yeah like more common than you'd think. I can think of three or four right off the top of my head very successful men. Um, I don't think it's a secret that the head of my agency. Uh, I think both heads of the agency, um, very successful, great guys, um, but they were heterosexual until they had, they had, they had ch- children. children. And then they, I, I hope I'm not saying this out of school. If it is, we should cut it out. But isn't Fareed Zakaria or is that? No, he's public about it. Is that public? It. He, okay, yes, another he, one. Had no, a family, had, had a family, wife, had a, a kid. wife. And, then... I, I, and I think this is your husband. And I just, I don't get it. Now, I'm not saying I'm the machoist guy in the world, but I cannot understand this on any level, how you can like, yeah, (laughs) I was either going to take up skeet shooting or guys. I, I, so. But there is a continuum, I'm told, and you are at the extreme. (laughs) (laughs) And you cannot imagine, and there are people who... Also, yes, I think it depends true. on how you are brought up. So that's the, the explanation is it's a spectrum. It's a spectrum. I, and it but is it's a also like where yes. you were brought up when being gay may have been inconceivable. And so any feelings you had were completely suppressed. And then at some point it became see, more and again, more conceivable. Here's the difference between liberal and woke. Liberals, I think, I'm, I still consider myself old school liberal mostly, believe there is a spectrum of sexuality. I think a conservative would say, no, there's men and women, and you know, <laughs> you're either a heifer or a ha, whatever the terms for animals. <laughs> you're either a sow or a bull. I don't know what I don't know animals. I was not raised on a farm, but you get the point. But a liberal says, no, of course there is a spectrum. Woke takes it ten subway stops too far to every child that is born is jump ball. <laughs> a penis, well, a penis is a one indicator of something. It could possibly be a male, but I mean, you know, as opposed to, you know what? The default setting is generally <laughs> penis male, okay? So we accept that maybe there's a mix-up at the factory once in a while, and, you know, this is not going to be how it's going to mm-hmm. come out, or the kid is gay, you know, which is a variation, but still a male. Right. 
Um, so can we wait on this as opposed to like having making uh, people at medical schools apologize for saying the word woman? You know, stuff yes. like that. Well, that is, I mean... I mean, you see how they're absurd. like... Uh, I mean, I have my, you know, the, when I'm, you know, I'm a grandma, right? I have a, a five, five-month-old five grandchild. I do know that. When my... I bet you they're <laughs> sleeping like sailors, too. <laughs> <laughs> okay, wait until I show you a picture. Your oh, heart will you? melt. I love to see babies. Your heart will melt. There's nothing I love more than seeing babies because they all look so different. Wait until you so see And so attractive. Him. Boy, if one thing babies are, it's different from each other and attractive. But the idea Bring is- it on. Do you have slides? <laughs> You will watch a 30-minute reel, but if the fact that you would call somebody a birthing person instead of a mother. Is that your phone? Do you have a phone here? Is that my phone that hasn't been turned off? It's uh, It's not yours, right? No. Does that sound like your phone? You hear that, right? Yes. Okay, good. I was going crazy. No, no, you're not. You're not hearing voices. It's done. Okay. <laughs> uh, if it is my phone, well, you can, it you can we check. Gotta, we got to stop in five minutes anyway. Okay. But I, it's funny because we are like, because the only reason I'm rushing is it's been an hour yeah. because I, I want to make your dinner. Yes, I know. I want you to make my dinner. I made my dinner at 8 o'clock for you so that you can okay. arrive by 8.30. I'm trying. I'm so doing I have my 8 best. to 8.30 drinks and then you arrive. We'll wait right. until so you arrive. We what? have a great Greek dinner. I didn't cook it. Don't worry. <laughs> I didn't think you, with all your billions, cooked your own dinner. Oh, you were slaving over the stove. No, no, it's not, a, it's not about a matter of money. It's a matter of I've never learned to cook. Okay. You know, one of my... One of the things I believe is that you can, there are many things you don't have to do, like cook yeah. <laughs> or learn to ski. Cook, uh, by I the mean, way, cooking, as far as like a trait I ever gave a shit about in a woman, is at the very bottom of the list. In fact, I find it a negative because I don't want someone who can cook. I'll get fat. We'll, <laughs> we'll organize the, the relationship around food instead of sex, which is always a bad idea. So, like, I could, I, whereas when I was a kid, they would say the way to a man's heart is through his stomach. I mean, it was like, because this is like before Boston Market, you know, like <laughs> when, if a guy was going to get food, right, the woman had to make it because, of course, he was incapable of making food. So, like, it was like a big, important selling point in who you mated with. Whereas I always thought, who cook? What do I care if you can cook? Well, first of all, we're eating in restaurants. Okay, <laughs> eating at restaurants. I have my own food at home. Uh, I have food that I I can I can make a scrambled egg and toast. Is that and, it? You know what? That's all you can make. No, no, I can make basic things, and mm-hmm. you know, I mean, uh, I'm not a foodie. No, I always no. thought food was the enemy of sex, so that was always why it had to take second place. And you know, that takes some reorganizing <laughs> of your life <laughs> because the way people live. And it's stupid. Is they have the food first, and the and sex then this, after, and it was just horrible. And Your breath stinks. The blood is in the wrong place. You know, it's just a terrible order of things. But you know, it's very hard to convince a girl on the first date. You know, we should have the sex. <laughs> and first. then we'll go to dinner. <laughs> I made a reservation for eleven thirty. At uh, all right, I'm gonna. But you know what? No. 
What? Um, I ca we can't live without mentioning something that I think the world has forgotten. Oh, yeah, my plugs. Which is that you were the first person to be cancelled after 9-11. After people remember. But do people remember what happened to the guy who was responsible, the Texas oh. radio jock? Do you know what happened to him? You just said we should forget and no, live no, no, on. No, 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 just for fun. Do you know what happened to him? Did you ever find Dinesh D'Souza? No, Dan oh. Patrick. Who's Dan? Remember? <laughs> I love that. I love that. Who's that? The guy, you know, this whole Who? let's cancel Bill Maher, let's cancel politically incorrect things started with oh. his tech, Houston, oh, yes. Texas radio show host. Yes, Dan I remember, Patrick. yes. Do you know who he is now? No, who? Lieutenant Governor of Texas. Oh, really? Really. He's the Lieutenant Governor of Texas? Yes. Wow. <laughs> I just didn't want to leave without well, I guess that, giving you that information. I guess that proves that I did not stick pins in his voodoo doll. <laughs> exactly. Because I didn't even know the name. Oh, you're not I remember not Houston. And I remember thinking, oh, yeah, that guy... I think he was actually mad at me at something else even more, and he used this as an opportunity, you know. But the great thing, it, it all led to something better. Yeah. Me, Real oh. time on HBO, oh, yeah. I am. and now on CNN, and now oh. Club Random. It's endless. <laughs> Your media empire. <laughs> you're the media empire. You, you're Your the, media you're empire the... is without end. <laughs> Did you have a, I mean, I remember that period when you were running for governor and starting the Huffington, Huffington. No, Huffington Post was 2005, a couple of years later. Well, that period, I say. Yeah. Right. So it's just, oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, not that you were doing bad before that, but, yeah, you had quite a third act. And, you know, speaking of aging, when we think that we have to do everything before we're 30, you know, 30 under 30, 20 under 20, <laughs> I launched the Huffington Post at 55. Right. I launched Thrive Global at 66. I, I, I love to right. say that so that people don't have that sense right. of urgency that oh, I, if, the, if everything is not I hate, done by 30. <laughs> well, and just the idea, I mean, I hear it all the time from stupid millennials. And maybe I was the same way when I was that age about older people. But they just seem to have this idea that you're just... Um, going to be automatically kind of decrepit at post-60 or something. If you don't and sleep, and I kind of, if you're stressed, yes, if you eat and too much you sugar. Be, <laughs> but, you know, you can also be pretty much exactly who you always were. I mean, no, nobody's going to be as cute as they were. No. Um, you can't stop that. But pretty much everything else, no, this, there is going to be a, a day will come and we're all going to be Diane Feinstein. <laughs> but, you know, don't say it's happening until it's actually happening. Anyway, okay. I'll be in Valley's <laughs> Lake Tahoe Saturday, March 11th. If I was decrepit, could I do that? <laughs> and then fucking the next night, I'm at the Golden Gate Theater in San Francisco. Oh, I haven't been there in a while. I can't wait for that. Saturday, April 1st, Paramount Theater, Seattle. Love Seattle. And Portland, of course. Always that great one-two punch. The Sunday, April 2nd, Arlene Schnitzer Hall show. Okay, do you have anything to plug? No, Thrive I just want to... Thrive is thriving. I just want to say how happy I am to be here with you 30 Me years too. after oh we met. Oh, my God. 30 years of friendship yeah. that I treasure. I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry I pushed you to get married. I was fucking with it. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. One more thing. In, in 
<laughs> Back, I have one more thing to tell you. In uh, the <laughs> speaking of knowing, being such great friends, in that, what was it? Uh, it was, oh, it was about Travis, uh, the Uber dude. Yes. And you're in it as played by Uma Thurman. Yes. I told you this, right? Yes. Okay, so I'm waiting for your arrival because I'm like, oh, Uma Thurman playing Ariana? I have got to see this. And the first line she has is uh, he's at a bar and he's like, had something bad happened, he fucked up and he's looking down and you walk over, I mean, Uma, as you, Travis, the bad boy of Silicon Valley. <laughs> and then he's like, Ariana, please, I had a bad day. And he goes, oh, bad day. I've had to have lunch with Pat Buchanan and Bill Maher. As if you had to, <laughs> I mean, it was both stupid Incredibly wrong, somewhat insulting. <laughs> Something I would but never also have said. Laugh out loud, funny that they thought that that was your attitude toward me. That you've had to have lunch. I hope you haven't ever had to. Oh my God, I never! And what I so love st- is that when we have, we normally have breakfast at one p.m. Yes, we are. We are two people <laughs> who can have breakfast at any hour. That's true. Yes. All right. Time Thank is done. Thank you. Club. I'll see you very soon. <laughs> yeah, I could do that. I could do it for three hours with you.